Here we go. You are listening to Rumination Thursday Law and Gospel on this May the 27th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Thursdays with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hello, Wes. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Well, I was doing pretty good until I read the article you sent me. (laughs) It's a different kind of article, isn't it? Well, the title is Jesus Was Different. It really should be is the author is really different than most Christian authors. And so let's kind of get into this because I told them yesterday they would be shocked to hear what this article says. It's done by Dr. Peter E. Lewis, and he had already written some items on the Gospel of Mark. Now, Concordia Publishing House has also put out a commentary on Mark by Dr. James Veltz. And when you look at Dr. Veltz's commentary compared to this Dr. Lewis's comments, they are miles apart. I think that's a point well taken because I found myself going into Bill's commentary and reading up and uh, a point that that, uh, Lewis would make that we would would probably say, yeah, you're right, is is a small fraction, maybe four or five sentences in in Bill's commentary and alludes to many other things that – talks about the gospel of of Mark and and Christ himself being the center of that gospel. Yes. Now, what he says, according to Mark, Jesus' birth was natural, but he was very different from everyone around him, and he knew it. Now, I don't see anywhere in Mark where he even talks about the birth of Jesus being natural. Because what he mean, what he means right. by that is that Jesus was just born of a man and a woman. But what does he say that how that birth took place? Well, he he goes right to Mark three twenty one, and there he, he talks where where uh, Jesus. Brother, mother and brothers thought he was, quote, out of his mind. Yes, that is a common theme in Mark because Jesus just does a lot of things and says a lot of things that they cannot understand. And in, in this particular case, uh, he is talking to them uh, about the fact that he is the Messiah. But what Dr. Lewis says is the following, trying to show that his birth was natural. He says that his birth was illegitimate. Now, that is something that even the Pharisees accused Jesus of. They said, we were born of Abraham, but you were born illegitimately. Now, they think that that is because Mary became pregnant before she married Joseph. And the thinking probably was that Joseph was the father. But what Dr. Lewis says is that Jesus' birth birth 
was illegitimate from their point of view because, and this is a quote, it occurred as the result of his mother being raped by a Roman soldier when the town of Sephoris, a few kilometers from Nazareth, was sacked by Roman forces after the death of King Herod in 4 BC. So Jesus looked different, probably with non-Jewish features. Now, do you find that anywhere in the Bible? (laughs) I don't find it in the Bible. Plus, you know, as you read through the article, uh, this was sacked by Roman forces after Herod died at 4 BC. Well, wait a minute. He he hadn't died uh, in 4 BC. And the pillage took place in in 4 B.C., which is roughly four years before the birth of Christ. So a little mix-up in in history here. Well, some people do teach, and I know I have profs at the Sem who did, that Jesus was probably born in 3 or 4 B.C., that the calendar was off a few years. But the fact of the matter is, King Herod was alive because right. he was the one that killed, this is a good point you make, killed the little babies when the wise men came to him and said the king was born. And so he tried to kill, put to death those in Bethlehem, etc. that would have been around the time of the birth of Jesus. So... That's really ridiculous. What are you saying? I would agree. And he tries, and he does this throughout his article, where Jesus is just a, a human. And um, and we, we have no problems with that, that he is the Son of Man. But he misses out on that whole thing of a Son of God as well. Yes, the idea that Jesus had a natural birth and that he really wasn't anything but a regular human being. You just go to Mark uh, chapter 2, where Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain fields, and the disciples begin to pluck heads of grain, which you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus reminds them, how even David, when he was hungry, entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And then he says, verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And Jesus Mm. refers to himself again and again as the Son of Man. That comes out of Daniel 7, where the Ancient of Days, God the Father, sends the Son of Man, Jesus, to earth to redeem sinners. So either he doesn't read the Gospel of Mark, or he's just changing it to fit his views. I always say changing it to fit his views. 
But we could start even earlier than that in in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I found that quite interesting because when you read Bill's uh, commentary, his research brought out uh, at least one historian, if not others, that says that that is authoritative. There's no wiggle room in in pointing out he's the Son of God. So he even failed to read the first part of the gospel. Yes. Um, Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And there are some manuscripts that omit that, the Son of God. But uh, Mm. we got to remember... There are thousands of differences in various manuscripts. And when the Bible translators decide to use something that is omitted in some manuscripts, it's because they're convinced it was part of the original. And so you you can't go through the Gospel of Mark without recognizing it. But that's not enough. He also says the following that it was in the village of not Nazareth, but instead this town, Sephorus, that he learned the Hebrew scriptures. And in the gospels, he is sometimes called rabbi, meaning a teacher. Now, what does he do with that? He says, and this is Peter Lewis, that as a rabbi, He should have been married with children, but there is no evidence for this in the New Testament. And here it comes. And it is reasonable to assume that Jesus was gay. And where's the evidence? Well, I've read some others where when they talk about that he kissed Mary Magdalene, he did it on her lips, but he still didn't marry her. But it was clear that they're saying that because he didn't get married, etc., he was gay. You see, we got to realize that those who believe in homosexuality and disagree that it is an abomination before Almighty God they now twist the scriptures to the degree that now they say that because Jesus was a rabbi, but he didn't get married with children, well, there's the evidence to reasonably assume that he was gay. And therefore, they go on from that, he would have felt alone because People didn't like gay people. That's why they were against Jesus, not because of his teaching, but because of him being a homosexual. I think the the Gospels would have brought that out, and I think your point is well taken. It's the twisting of the Scriptures, because as as I went through Mark looking at that, you look at Scripture interpreting Scripture, and this stuff doesn't even fit, like where he talks about mother and brothers uh, in Mark chapter 3. It also, uh, when he said he's out of his mind, that was the beginning of 
uh, talk about Beelzebub, uh, Satan, and then uh, doing the will. Whoever, who is my mother and brother, are those who do the will of God. This idea that if you were a rabbi, a teacher, therefore you would be married with children. Can you think of a rabbi that we know really well that wasn't married? In fact, he went on to, to teach that he wishes all were like him. <laughs> You're thinking of what the Apostle Paul? Yes. If anybody was a teacher of Judaism, I'm sure they looked to the Apostle Paul. He was steeped in Phariseeism. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Remember that long list of things he says? And then he says, but none of that counts when it comes to salvation by grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ. So this Dr. Lewis says that rabbis always got married, but there's one of the greatest rabbis of all time who did not get married. That is an excellent point. I never thought of, thought of it that way, but you, know, you are correct about uh, Paul. That would, that would be a, a, a good example. So in one of his paragraphs, after having set up this ridiculous notion, he says, so we have a young man who is gay. He looks different. He feels different. Yet he is steeped in the Jewish culture. And because of his loving nature, he finds consolation in his relationship with God. Although not accepted by others, he feels accepted by his creator. Now that's a very common thing uh, by homosexuals. How do they talk mm. like that? Okay, God made me that way. Yes. Therefore, I'm okay. You know, I read a lot of articles by homosexuals talking about that nonsense that since I was born being gay, then God must permit that or else I wouldn't have been born that way. Not only does that disagree with original sin, but you know what I change when I read those articles and every time they say the word homosexual, I change it to what? Pedophile. Yes. And therefore, there was a very interesting Law and Order television uh, episode where a pedophile was with a young girl who loved the pedophile. And she was, of course, way underage. She was like 13 years old. And he went to court, and that's the argument he used in court, that he had been mm -hmm. born that way, he had a love towards her, and he wasn't forcing her at all because she loved him. Uh, this is what happens when evolution replaces the Bible, that there are no morals, and just like the animals have all kinds of strange habits in the sexual area, well, why can't we? And so it's a great example of when you're listening to an evolutionist who doesn't believe that God created the world in six 24-hour days, uh, you're dealing with individuals who don't see anything wrong with gay marriage, abortion, etc. 
And that's what this Peter Lewis is doing, changing the whole Bible to try and make homosexuals feel good because they're just like Jesus. You know, I sent you another article, too, that you'll, you'll have to pull up on on a uh, uh, retired pastor from, from one of the, not our denomination, but a different one. And uh, he brings up that very point that, that, according to Darwin, mankind wasn't as smart as what the six-day creation brings up. And therefore, you know, it's we got to reject the the uh, creation account, and he opens up all manner of, of uh, problems. In particular, uh, the atonement that we have to sometimes work out our salvation, not through what the Bible says. So it follows with what you've been saying about homosexuality and pedophilia and things of that nature. It makes me stop and think for a second that, uh, you know, we have people who are arsonists and they love to see fires and they'll, they'll tell you that they were born that way. They yep. just can't help themselves. Good point. Yeah. He'll take Isaiah 53 and we're back to Peter Lewis now and says that because of Jesus being gay, he was despised and rejected. And it says, Isaiah does not say why the servant was despised. Well, did he not read the book of Isaiah? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I mean, all over there. And why is he despised? Remember when he is crucified, his enemies think that he's paying for his own sins. But the Bible says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it wasn't that Jesus was gay or anything, that he was forsaken by others, but that he insisted that he was the promised Messiah and that he would suffer in that way. And yeah, before, before you got to the iniquity of us all, it was right up there above that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Excellent. Yeah. And so as you keep reading this article, he takes every event and changes it for a homosexual idea. At Jesus' baptism, here's what he says. Jesus experienced his old life being washed away, although he must still have been aware of his gayness and accepting of it. That that's what the baptism is all about, that God was accepting that Jesus was a homosexual. Do you ever find that in the Bible? No. No, and when you look at the baptism of Jesus, uh, he quotes it, but uh, he leaves out the father who says, this is my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yes. And also at the transfiguration, he adds something. Yes. Listen to him. Exactly. Why would, why are we told to listen to just a natural man? 
unless he is God himself. So there are so many statements in this horrible article. For example, the gospel writers all agree. Now, as soon as I read that in an article like this, I know that that's going to be untrue. I don't even have to read the rest of the sentence. Because once a homosexual decides to reinterpret the Bible to make him feel good about his abomination before God, here's what he writes. The gospel writers all agree that he taught about the kingdom of God, usually in simple parables, so that the people could understand. Will you tell me a time when he spoke a parable where they understood? Depends no. on which parables you're talking about. There isn't one. There isn't one. No. E- even when he talks about the sower in the field, he sows in different kinds of uh, rocky ground, etc. What do the disciples say? Please explain to us that parable. The parable, yeah. I mean, there isn't a parable that they understand. In fact, it fits when Jesus quotes the Old Testament that he speaks in parables so that people who do not have faith will not understand and that they'll keep asking questions so that God can explain the parables. In fact, I just did that yesterday uh, from an email where a person was wondering about that parable where the owner of a farm leaves money with each of his servants. He comes back and one of them buried it in the ground. And of course, he shows that therefore they were to use it in expanding his kingdom and that they were faithful. He wasn't looking for a prophet. He was looking for them being faithful. And that was a totally different understanding of the parable Uh, This one person said that his pastor said in a sermon that a man died and went to heaven. And because he had not been proper in his use of money here on earth, then he was only able to live in a bungalow rather than the mansion that other Christians had. And he was really disappointed after he got to heaven. And and the point that you really hit, I thought, was faithful. We point him to Jesus, yes. who was the gen- most generous of all by his suffering and his death and his resurrection, that our giving is, is in response to what Christ has done for us. Yeah, he goes on, and this is a straw man again. Jesus knew he was a Messiah, but not in a political sense. And then he goes ahead and says, this idea of a coming Messiah was in the Old Testament, but the Gospels have allusions to passages in it, but some readers have suspected that the Gospel writers just made up these connections to support their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And he uses Matthew's reference to Isaiah 7.14, that Jesus was born of a virgin, and he's saying that Matthew just made that up because he was really born because of being his mother being raped by a Roman soldier. So Matthew made up Isaiah? Matthew took that 
Isaiah passage and pretended that it was referring to Jesus being born as a virgin. And he's saying that was ridiculous. In fact, the last paragraph is really critical. Jesus arranged everything according to his plan. But how did he arrange it? Listen to this. He had provoked the Jewish authorities to kill him. And to make sure, he told Judas to inform them where he would be after their fellowship meal of the Passover. Interesting that he was working with Judas to tell the authorities where he was. In fact, he not only was working with Judas, but it says he probably did not realize that the Jewish authorities would remove his body to prevent the tomb becoming a rallowing site for his followers. And that's why it was empty. The Jews removed it, which is really ridiculous because all they had to do was show his body and they didn't. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. I looked at that one and I started laughing. I said, you got to be kidding me because would, they would have shown the body and that would have put an end exactly. to the whole thing. In fact, before his death, it says, get this, Jesus would have arranged with Joseph of Arimathea, who was waiting for the kingdom of God in order that he would put him in his grave. So he provoked the authorities He wanted to suffer, and he's an example for all of us to suffer. This is a horrible article, but our audience needs to know that that's what so-called pastors are teaching. Well, thanks so much, Pastor, for sending me the article. I think it was well worth our time that people would realize they got to be really careful in listening to what's being taught. I'm Tom Baker, and that was Wes Reimnitz on the line with us next week. We'll have another subject. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.